up, boys and pals? Welcome back to another episode with your lovely hostess with the mists. Mm-hmm. Today is Harini's turn to regale us yeah. with a story. Yes, yes, um, yes. And I am ready. I have no idea what it's going to be about, as I usually don't know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get so excited about something <laughs> that we'll leak a little bit to each other. But yeah, yeah, what's it going to be, Harini? You know, you know, suspense. I'm drawing it out. No, I was going to yeah. say it's. It was never like a hard and fast rule between us that we can't tell each other what we're talking about ahead of time. But somehow right. we like to keep it secret. Like I think we like to surprise each other a little bit. Yeah, it's yes. fun. It's very fun. and it's fun. Yeah, sometimes. The reaction is really strong. And then sometimes the reaction is like, I have no idea what this is. I don't know how to react. Sometimes the That's reaction okay. is the other person closes their laptop. They just don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, yeah. honestly, I have, I'm surprised for how long we've been doing this that we haven't done each other's stories yet. Or like we, like there hasn't been a week where we've both prepped the same story or planning to prep the same story, right. which is pretty impressive, I will say. Right. That's true. I think there's been a couple times where I've taken an idea mm. off your idea board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, it. But it's not like we ever were like actively working on the never, same thing. Never. Yeah. It's always been something like I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I never researched it. <laughs> and then Megan yeah. does <laughs> when it's perfect. I can still uh, listen so, to it. Yeah. So Poison Pals, if you're ever wondering how the hell we plan and write our stories or whatever um we don't really tell each other about it Mm -hmm. and in some ways now that i'm saying that out loud part of me is like that might not be a good idea because (laughs) what if we are working on the same thing and now we've just wasted one other person's time (laughs) right right but you know it's like i said it's been this long and we still haven't done that so i'm not really worried because also i honestly feel like we we think about very different stories just because of the way our minds work. I, yes. I I can see a pattern. I'm sure Poison Pals by now, you kind of know the types of genres or stories that Megan is drawn to and the types mm-hmm. of stories I'm drawn to. So I feel like there's mm-hmm. like a natural divide, which I think is fantastic because mm-hmm. I like that. I like that we kind of have like our own interests in that way. Yeah. You guys get all different types of nonsense yes. essentially we, we cover the entire nonsense spectrum so we, yes. we got it all we got it all <laughs> on, all right on that note <laughs> i have more nonsense for you <laughs> so megan this mm-hmm. one is a doozy and it, it's a little bit off the beaten path in terms of the content of what we usually talk about on the podcast sources <laughs> So I'm just going to jump right into the story. We'll we'll dive into the why and the how of it all later. So I will not say the titles right now just to just keep it mysterious. So okay. I got a Washington Post article written by Jillian Brockwell. I had two articles by The Guardian, but there was no byline. So maybe I can read the titles afterwards. A source or an article from history.com, a PBS article very similar to that, and then Wiki. Nice, nice. So this story is about the Watergate scandal. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yes. Uh, not okay. where you thought I was right. going with that. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, I actually am pretty... I don't know a lot about it yeah. besides the meaty parts. Yeah. But I know that there's always, just like with any sort of cultural moment, there's always so much more under the surface that a lot of people don't know about mm-hmm. unless they really, really do their research. Totally. Um, so I am excited. I am curious to know if there is a poison element. I'm assuming there is. TBD. TBD. Okay, okay, okay. TBD. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I'm curious. I, I was going to ask before we jump into it, because likewise, mm-hmm. I, I think I probably know as much about the Watergate scandal as the next person, like right. the average person, I'd say. I did watch mm-hmm. All of the President's Men. I don't know if you watched that movie, Megan. Okay. I did not. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. it's one of my brother's favorite films. And so I watched it be- for that reason because he vouched for it so hard. And it was good, mm-hmm. but it was very confusing. Like, I, okay. I was more confused about what happened with the Watergate scandal right. after watching that movie. So right. this was a good refresher for me and gave me a little deeper insight as to what happened. But anyways, let's actually get into that because I don't think a lot of people our generation know too much about the Watergate scandal, I'm assuming. So right. I will set us up first before jumping to the story of an actual timeline of events leading up mm-hmm. to Watergate and post-Watergate. 
Okay. Okay. So January 1969, Richard Nixon is inaugurated as the 37th president of the United States. February 1971, so fast forwarding a few years later, mm-hmm. is when President Nixon orders secret tapes to be installed to, to record all conversations at the Oval Office, in the Executive Office building, and his Camp David office. Several months later, in the summer of June on June 13, 1971, the New York Times begin publishing the Pentagon Papers, which are the Defense Department's secret history of the Vietnam War. Mm. Almost a year later, on the dot, June 17, 1972, five men are arrested while trying to bug the Democratic National Committee's headquarters at the Watergate, which is both a mm-hmm. hotel and an office building in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. A day later, White House Press Secretary Ronald Ziegler famously called the water- Watergate break-in, quote, a third-rate burglary. Mm. A few days later, President Nixon denied that the White House had any involvement at a press conference on June 22nd. Mm. August 1st, 1972. And I want to be clear, um, President Nixon is a Republican. He is not mm-hmm. a Democrat, in case people were wondering, like, mm-hmm. why is he bugging the Democratic? Okay, there we go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on August 1st, 1972, the Washington Post reported that a check for $25,000 originally for Nixon's 1972 re-election campaign was deposited into the bank account of one of the Watergate burglars. It was mm. one of the first developments linking the DNC break-in to Nixon himself as well as his campaign. Okay, quick yeah. question. So I have heard the term burglar, burglary mm-hmm. in association with what happened that night at the Watergate. But I think what always confused me is I was always under the impression that they were installing like spy device, right? Um, Tapes or whatever in that office or, you know, the DNC committee office Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) my confusion is around the word burglar because I'm like, did they take stuff too? That's a great question because they, in, in in the articles that I was reading, they sort of use the terms break-in and burglary interchangeably. And burglary was the, the way that the reporters uh, mm. announced it in their newspapers. It was this burglary right. and even like White House was saying it was this burglary. But there's not, to my knowledge, anything that they actually took. They were right. installing, as you said, security systems and bugging the whole place to record people's conversations. Right Now, are, were they... I'm trying to actually, I'm now referring back to All the President's mm-hmm. Men, the movie. Mm-hmm. I believe that they did take some papers in that film, mm. but I, I can't remember right now. So I'll have to fact check myself after this. But yeah. um, you're totally right, Megan. As, from the knowledge I- that I know as fact, they did not take anything to my knowledge. They were installing the right. security tapes. I mean, I guess big picture, they are taking information down the line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is just a semantics thing. I'm like, okay, no, I'm does totally burglary right. apply to any break-in? And I will do that Google search while you talk. Yeah, I'm curious. If you can <laughs> check if they actually took something, I think that would be helpful mm-hmm. for everybody to yeah, know. Yeah. Okay. Continuing onwards. So that was August 1st. Now we're jumping same year to October 10th. The FBI conclude that the Watergate break-in was part of a bigger spy plot connected to Nixon's campaign. News mm. of the FBI findings come on, hot on the heels of the news that former Attorney General John Mitchell, who stepped down earlier that year, was in charge of a secret fund that paid for all of the spying on the Democratic Party. January 8, 1973, the Watergate investigation begins. January 30th of the same year, Gordon Liddy, a former Nixon aide, and James McCord, a one-time Nixon aide and former CIA operative, are convicted for their role in spearheading the Watergate break-in. April 30th, 1973, the scandal officially reaches the White House. A senior White House aide, H.R. Haldeman and John Ehr- Ehrlichman, resign over Watergate. Attorney General Richard Oh my God, these fucking names. <laughs> Sorry. <God damn>. <laughs> <laughs> Attorney General Richard Kleindienst also resigns and John Dean, the White House counsel, get fired. May 18th, 1973, Archibald Cox is appointed as a special prosecutor to the lead investigation into Nixon's re-election campaign and Watergate. It is at these Senate hearings that the then-Senator Howard Baker, Republican from Tennessee, asked one of the most famous questions in American politics, quote, what did the president know and when did he know it? 
July 23rd, 1973, Nixon refuses to give up the recordings, which became known as the Nixon tapes. The mm. tapes were believed to contain critical evidence of a cover-up of Nixon's involvement in the break-in. John Dean, the former White House counsel, admits that he spoke with Nixon about the Watergate matter dozens of times in these tapes. Eventually, they he you know, the White House just subpoenas those tapes and they get mm-hmm. them anyways. And then October 20th, 1973 is called the Saturday Night Massacre because Attorney mm. General Richardson and Deputy Attorney General William Ruckelshaws resign in the same night after refusing Nixon's order to fire Cox. Mm-hmm. Then Robert Bork, who is the now acting Attorney General, fires Cox after that. Right. It's just like, I hate to say it, but it, it feels very Trump. Very Trump. Like, I can't even believe, <laughs> I can't even believe that he has the audacity to be like, just fire the people that are trying to investigate me, you know? Right, right. Um, I hear you. I'm going to be an irritating person, I'm sure, to some listeners. But um, yes, it feels very Trump because that's our contemporary version of that, like what we're familiar with. But I guarantee you, and the Democratic Party side, mm-hmm. or in mm-hmm. any part of uh, government, you know, that level of power, that's happening. And it just depends sure. on who has the power in the media yeah. of the day to to um have that be covered up or to be put on blast so yeah i i feel you it does feel like trump because we were able to witness that on the news and it was very public but i guarantee you it's happening in every corner of the government so absolutely absolutely. not to be a conspiracy theorist or anything no no it's (laughs) it's just true unfortunately we don't like to know how the sausage is made as we have said many times before on this podcast Yes, yes yes okay May 9th, 1974, the House Judiciary Committee starts impeachment proceedings against Nixon. And basically before it's like a unanimous vote, everyone's like, yeah, go for it. Uh, But before it even gets to reach the House floor, before it even gets to reach the House for a vote, we all know that Nixon resigns two weeks Mm -hmm. later on August 8th, 1974. So that brings us up to our story. So that's the full timeline of the Watergate scandal. And just something I want to... No, and actually, this is one of my sources that I forgot to mention. One of my sources was an episode of the Slow Burn podcast. Uh, It's just Mm. a quick 30-minute podcast. He goes more into like the Watergate scandal as a whole, but for the purposes of what I'm talking about, the first Mm -hmm. episode was more most important for me. He really makes it a big point to be like, you know, it was a very – this might sound weird, but it was a very exciting time to live through the Watergate scandal. There Mm. are reporters that he talked to who, you know, were reporting at the time and people equivalent to Jon Stewart who were having some of these talk shows um, and they would report on the news every night and have people Mm -hmm. come on who were associated with the White House or currently working at the White House and just get their take on it. And it was literally like a daily feed of information and everyone was so excited to get their watergate fix like people would quote say i need my watergate fix for the day like what's the latest and i I know the word exciting doesn't sound like the right term but that's how they would describe it it was very i don't know it's just like it's like stuff was happening every single day you're just on the edge of your seat like you never knew what the latest was going to come out it felt like very uh like a novel that you're Mm -hmm. reading and then you're seeing it happening in real time Right. So just like, I guess, like a little bit of interesting perspective. Uh, I think we may have gone through something like that with Trump, perhaps, mm-hmm. maybe even with Clinton, with his impeachment. Yeah. But I think this was definitely the Watergate scandal is like on 70 levels higher, I think. Right. Yeah. Right. So anyways, so that was an overview. But the focus of the story is on a person, not many people know about, but should know about, which is Martha Mitchell. Megan, do you know anything about Martha Mitchell? Have you heard that name at all? I've heard the name. I know nothing about them, but I have heard the name. And okay. I feel like I've probably heard it uh, in regards to the Watergate scandal or Nixon era politics. Mm-hmm. But that's it just that name just goes straight through my head. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Totally, totally fair, because I think it was designed that way for a reason by our news and by the government, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. go on, list goes on. I've never heard of the name Martha Mitchell 
in relation mm-hmm. to the Watergate scandal up until mm-hmm. I researched the story. So, right. and I think I would say that's the majority of people's perception as well. Right. So Martha Mitchell's life was completely destroyed by Watergate, not because mm-hmm. she was a part of it, but because of her close proximity to those involved. Mm-hmm. But let's set the stage a little bit first by talking about her husband, John Mitchell was the attorney general for Nixon, and he was Nixon's most trusted advisor. Hmm. At the time of Watergate, he was not attorney general. He was re-election campaign advisor. And that's all you really need to know about him for now. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go back to his wife, Martha. Martha, if you look her up, Megan, she is a hoot and a holler of a woman. She is larger than life. She's pretty much a celebrity back then. She was very talkative, very glamorous, a total Southern belle from Arkansas, had a very bubbly mm-hmm. personality. During the Nixon administration, she was the second most in-demand figure for Republican events after the president himself. And it was because she was so colorful and outspoken woman in Washington at that time when most cabinet wives were not seen or heard. Okay, I am Google image searching her Okay, because uh, that's how I usually do my searches when Harini tells me to look them up. I don't actually look into who they are. But um, yeah, like some of the first images are her with like a big smile on her face. And she just has like such a just a positive looking demeanor. And she looks very friendly and approachable. She's a joy. <laughs> and she's got that classic beehive hairdo. Very great. She does. She's rocking it. She's rocking it. Uh, she was known for enjoying her whiskey and talking a lot, like a lot. <laughs> and by that, I mean, she was always going on TV shows, giving interviews. She was often called the most talked about talkative person at the White House. She was zany and outspoken in a funny way. She would often talk about how much she hated liberals. <laughs> what you see <laughs> is what you get with Martha. Her nickname was, quote, Mouth of the South. Because she was constantly talking to journalists. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. <laughs> to, to give you an idea, Martha's, Martha's typical evening was to fix herself a drink, call up one of her reporter friends, talk to them for hours, and then be published in the newspaper the next day. Like, mm. she does all the time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. And as we talked about earlier, John Mitchell was essentially at the center of the Watergate scandal as, one, as the one in charge of the quote-unquote spy fund. So, and also he gave the authority. He basically was like, go ahead and burgle slash break in to Watergate. Right. It was on his say so. Mm -hmm. Obviously from top down Nixon, but yeah. Right, right. Okay. So everything really goes down June 17th weekend, right? Mm. So that June weekend, John and Martha were in California. John was there to do campaign work, and Martha was looking forward to attending a pool party at a Nixon donor's home where she would rub elbows with John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, and Jaja mm-hmm. Gabor. Mm. Totally her her scene. <laughs> at some point during the day, John Mitchell gets word that five men were arrested early in the morning at the Watergate offices. So John Mitchell, of course, is like shitting his pants. So he he goes back to his wife and he's like, I got to fly back ASAP to D.C., but he doesn't tell her why. Mm, okay. He suggests to Martha that she should stay, just relax, like enjoy California, come back later. Presumably, he didn't want his eavesdropping wife to know what was going on. That was another thing about her. She loved to eavesdrop by the door whenever her <laughs> husband was on like all of his phone calls with the White House and with the president. <laughs> So interesting. When you see other depictions of government relationships, right? A husband and wife who are both involved in the government. Well, I guess she didn't really have a government role, right? She's Mm -hmm. just, okay. That said, but like, you know, you see in cinema, I'm even thinking like House of Cards in some ways, like, you have these characters who are like, you are my confidant. Like, I will tell you everything. Like, everything between us is secret. And like, you're the only one I can tell about this. It is interesting that like he felt no way near to that with her. And I almost feel I feel bad for her. She's just a socialite. She wants to have a good time and play. And, she, yeah. Um, why is she married to him? <laughs> I will say I th- they chose the wrong um, endeavors to be. I don't know to be with each other. But <laughs> I think I actually think they had a really good marriage. 
and I'm, I'm sure they, I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm sure they loved each other very much. I think it was more like he didn't need to confide in her because she would find right. out anyways. Like she, there was no point. Sure. There was no point with Martha. He was just like, oh, Martha, right, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my lovely, adorable, yeah. talkative Martha. And she was oh, pat, pat. <laughs> exactly. And she was extremely, she was extremely good for the presidency because she was so popular. She was like a very popular woman face in the White House. Mm. And like I said, mm-hmm. she would be at every rendezvous or Republican meeting alongside mm. with Richard Nixon because she was so, she was so highly requested. The people right. wanted to see her, so she was a huge face for that whole uh you know not the campaign but for the whole presidency gotcha um okay so that's a little bit about that so anyways now we're back to california it's june 17th weekend the five men get arrested watergate is officially happening Mm. so john mitchell's like oh fuck i gotta go gotta go he tells his wife you stay here i'm gonna go back Mm -hmm. but doesn't tell her Mm -hmm. why the reason why he doesn't want her to find out about any of this is because Martha actually knows one of the burglars that th- that was mm. arrested. Okay. Arguably one of the most important ones involved in what in Watergate was James W. McCord. He mm. is a former CIA officer, consultant to President Nixon for his re-election campaign committee currently, mm. like at that time. Right. Martha knows James because he used to be their personal security guard in 1972. And that was just Hmm. a year prior. And he would drive Martha's daughter, Marty, to and from school. So she really knew him. Yeah. This was precisely why John Mitchell wanted to keep this news away from his wife. He knew that if she knew McCord was in on this or had heard that he was arrested, God knows what kind of questions she'd ask or who she'd call and start talking to. Right. So before John Mitchell leaves for Washington, he assigns former FBI agent Steve King to watch Martha and make sure she doesn't consume a shred of news that would let her know about the burglary. Mm. But it's too late. Just two days after the break-in, Martha sees the mugshot of McCord on the front of the LA Times, along with mm. basic facts about the Watergate break-in. In that news article, her husband John was quoted saying, James McCord wasn't really part of the re- of the re-election committee. He was only hired to install the security system months before the burglary, burglary even happened. Mm. Martha knows this is a total lie. He was part of the re-election campaign, and she knew that really well, just as much as her husband. And he's been a part of that re-election campaign for a while now. So she's mm. thinking, why would my husband lie about that? Right. She wanted to know the truth, so Martha started talking. <laughs> talking or asking questions? Or both? A little bit of both. <laughs> okay. All right. So she tries to call her husband, can't reach him. She does eventually reach one of his aides and threatens that if her husband doesn't respond to her, the next phone call would be to her friend Helen Thomas, a reporter at the United Press International. Hmm. Steve King, the FBI agent, instructed to watch her was also told to keep Martha away from any phones, but oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But this was easier said Jeez. than done. Right. On Thursday, June 22nd. So I think it's just only like four days after uh, Martha pretends to be asleep and then scurries downstairs and calls her friend, Helen Thomas, the reporter at the United press international. Mm-hmm. Martha's super agitated. This is coming from Helen herself. Martha's super agitated on the phone with Helen talking about if her husband didn't get out of the dirty business of politics, she'd leave him. Mm. Before Helen could ask Martha what she meant by dirty business, she hears Martha on the other line saying, get away, get away. And then the line goes dead. Mm. Okay. Helen tries to call back multiple times, but can't reach her. She eventually calls the operator at the hotel that she knows she's at in California. And the operator just says that Martha is currently indisposed. Well, that's not ominous at all. <laughs> I just the word indisposed is like, what does that even mean? Right, right. Like she's busy, but I don't know. After hearing someone be like, get away, get away on the phone. I'd be like, oh, she's Mm-mm. she's been disposed. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So she calls her husband, John Mitchell, to let mm-hmm. him know what just happened. And John's mm-hmm. response is oddly calm and flippant. Mm-hmm. He basically is just like, oh, you know, my Martha, she always gets so excited about politics. Bless her soul, mm-hmm. whatever. And that's it. <laughs> but what really happened was that Steve King barged in and he literally tears the telephone cord out of the wall and then locks Martha into her room. She- that's horrible. Horrible. 
She tries to climb onto the balcony and got into a tussle with Steve, which causes her to put her hand through a, pl- a plate glass patio door. Mm. So she's like bleeding. She's got she's going to need stitches. A doctor is eventually called. And when they arrive, Martha was shouting all kinds of things like, I'm being held as a political prisoner. I know information, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So five men literally <clears throat> accost her, hold her down while the doctor injects injects her with a tranquilizer. Mm. Horrible. And this is just like a small tidbit. The Steve King guy, to make this more relevant, he was named ambassador to the Czech Republic under Donald Trump. So he's still very much involved in politics. How old is this person? I mean, not to be ageist. <laughs> he must he must be ancient. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. Old. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, That's yes. A, uh, He's an yeah, octogenarian, okay. I'm sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she is held hostage, essentially, against her will. She's not allowed to even leave her, her room. She's beaten. She's beaten black and blue mm-hmm. all over and obviously forcibly tranquilized against her will at the request of her her husband in many ways. Right. As well as like the larger, you know, Nixon. Right. So Watergate. he definitely has oversight on what's happening and yeah. how she's being um, held prisoner, essentially. And also, I do feel like in a way there is a small piece missing. And, 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 and when I say small piece, I mean, it like the in between from her seeing the you know, fi- seeing that uh, article mm. on the LA Times mm-hmm. to this point, like it's very clear that th- whatever anxiety was building in her was, um, you know, super severe. Like it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a, oh, I saw this LA Times thing and I recognize I have mm. information. My husband's not calling me. I'm sure mm. in that in between, it was r- the realizing the weight of the situation and being like, holy shit, like, something's not right, right because I know all this information. What do I do? What do I do? And I'm sure that mm-hmm. before she even contemplated, you know, finally talking to her friend, Helen, well, obviously she tried to call her husband who wasn't returning his calls. Yeah. Which in my opinion, I'm like, that's your bad dude. Like that's your bad. by withholding information, you got to the situation, which isn't fair, but it's also obviously not fair that you're abusing her in this way um, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But um, it's one of those things where I'm like, I think it's, it wasn't just a jump from point A to point B that she's like, I'm going to go straight to Helen. No, it was, it seems very likely that she was in an, her own moral panic yeah. of like, yeah. what is going on? And I need to talk to someone, not because I'm a chatty Kathy, <laughs> sorry, Kathy's <laughs> not because I'm a chatty person, but because like, this is um, something that would uh, mentally disarm you yeah. in many ways, because yeah. then you're, you know, I can only assume, but from her perspective, if she, you know, if she's caring for her husband and all this situation, she's probably like wondering what trouble is he in? Like, I, you know, that anxiety comes too. So absolutely shame on her husband. Fuck that guy. Like that's horrible. Absolutely. I agree. And Megan, that's, that is such a nuanced piece of information that you picked up on, which I'm so glad you did. And so early on too, because a lot of people don't, Think about that because, yes, things don't go from zero to 60 just like that. I'm sure, yes, there are scenarios that they do, but she is a woman who is very well versed. She's very knowledgeable Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of her, you know, pastimes, perhaps, maybe her hobbies. She likes to listen in, whatever. It's her husband, that's their own business. And so she knows. I'm sure she has racked up that info, has known about what her husband is up to, and mm-hmm. is just kind of now putting the pieces together with this final piece of evidence that she saw in the, right. on, in the LA Times. So I totally agree with you. Like she, She's in a, a moral panic and she's trying right. to act on it. And, and maybe in some ways try to save her husband from ruin too. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure on many levels, as this is all happening internally with inside her, that she's also noticing maybe like a, a physical threatening presence start to enclose in on her for, I don't, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. You'd probably know more, but like, did she always have King watching her? You know what I mean? Did she always have FBI kind of like shadowing her mm-hmm. or was it till this point? So I think if it was something that happened and felt more intense, uh, you know, after the sca- Watergate went down, that could also cause panic. Mm-hmm. Right. And so sure. it's almost, it's almost like, to me, it's like 
they were waiting for her to do something. Like, it sounds bad. Like, no, it's not like they were waiting for her to spill the beans, but they were definitely like setting themselves up so that they could detain her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they built that environment so that they could detain her. And I think that's fucked up. Like they knew she was always going to be a potential loose thread or a loose cannon. Just right. Just by knowing that she talks a lot. So, and that's not her fault. No. It's his fault. Why is she getting ba- battered for this? Okay. It's horrible. It's horrible. I mean, yeah, it's just horrible. And just to add more evidence to this whole situation there have been moments in the past where you know now i have kathy the word the name kathy in my mind uh it's not fair i shouldn't have said no that. no no, Sorry, no. <laughs> uh where Martha would speak openly about other things, not just this. She would speak openly about mm-hmm. other things. And in one of the Oval Office meetings, Nixon was quoted saying, we need to shut down Martha. Like, we need to shut her down. Mm. Not right. even shut her down. He said, we need to turn her off. That was that was a quote. Mm. We need to turn her off. It's, so I thought was like, that's yeah. a very interesting way of stringing those words together to describe her. So, yeah, right. there there's a lot more to this, I would, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Well, one week after being held hostage in that California hotel and one week after the Watergate burglary, she flies back to D.C. Once in D.C., Martha immediately calls up Helen once more and says more or less the same thing as what she was trying. It's basically finishing up her conversation that got cut off right, early. Right. And she tells Helen, you know, I love my husband very much, but I'm not going to stand for these dirty things. And mm. she was explaining to her, like, I'm, like I said, black and blue all over with these bruises from being beaten during a forced lockdown. Right. Even though Martha was speaking to reporters, no one believed her. They just Mm. thought Martha was being Martha, an extra sort of over-the-top personality who liked to perhaps stir the pot with gossip. Mm. But in reality, she was absolutely correct. Mm. She was on the up and up probably before anyone else, actually before anyone else, that Nixon had orchestrated the entire Watergate situation from day one. And she was Mm. well aware that her husband would likely become the fall guy. Mm -hmm. Essentially, she was the first whistleblower for Watergate. Of course, Martha speaking to the press was not helpful to Nixon and his co-conspirators in the slightest. So they Mm -hmm. fed info to the press that Martha was a crazy head case and an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. She's this and that. And it added to this overall story of her not being trustworthy or a believable source of information. Hmm. Washington dismissed her, so she was not taken seriously in in either her allegations about her own treatment or about her warnings about the behavior of the Nixon administration and the Nixon campaign specifically. Mm -hmm. Her own husband basically told everyone that she was mentally unwell and an alcoholic and not to put too much stock in her. Hmm. She was one of the first voices to try to warn the entire country about the corruption at the center of the Nixon administration and was laughed at at the end of the day Mm. Mm -hmm. and unfortunately it worked in martha's own words from an interview she did after the fact when she came back to dc she'd have normally gone out and about seen her friends like you said she's such a socialite but with all this negative news in the press about her she stayed in her apartment and didn't speak to anybody and she says this in her own words she's like i played right into their part it was exactly what nixon and his Watergate crew wanted to stay mm. hidden and stay silent. Right. Shortly after this, her husband, John Mitchell, resigns under the reasoning of wanting to spend more time with his wife and daughter. Mm. But by the summer of 1973, John and Martha are barely speaking to one another, even though they still live under the same roof. Martha says that John had become a recluse post resignation. And there are so many times where she's trying to get through to him and he's just like a shadow of who he was, right? Mm. And Martha was clear that he was at a crossroads. He either needed to be start becoming loyal to his family or mm-hmm. he stays loyal to the president, but he can't do both. Right. She's kept urging him, like, you need to reveal what you know about Nixon and Watergate and save yourself. You owe mm-hmm. nothing to this guy. Sadly, John chose the president and eventually Martha and John separate. Mm. Martha loses so much respect for her former husband for shielding the president in his crimes. As I said, Martha Mitchell was the very first whistleblower in the Watergate scandal who was forcibly silenced, literally, with tranquilizers, held against her will, and bullied into silence by the press through the Nixon administration, Mm -hmm. making the entire United States think she was crazy. Mm. 
In her biography, Martha says that the last real conversation she had with John was right before they took that fateful trip to California. Watergate took her husband, her family, and herself in many ways with it. Martha Mitchell dies just a few years later in 1976 at the age of 57. Wow. Yeah. It's young. Her attorney told United Press International that she had been, quote, desperately ill without friends and without funds. When she mm. separated from her husband, she barely got any money out of it. Mm. And she's eventually buried in her hometown of Pine Bluff in Arkansas. John Mitchell was found guilty of conspiracy, perjury, and obstruction of justice related to the Watergate break-in and spent 19 months in prison. A whole year before Nixon was impeached or resigned office, Martha continues to call out. This is the thing. Even though she was silenced in many ways, at some point she starts speaking up again, even though everyone doesn't believe her. She just continues to speak her truth. And she calls him out a year before he actually resigns, saying that Nixon should resign for his crimes and for letting the country down. Mm. After Martha died, Nixon points the finger right back at her and says, quote, if it hadn't been for Martha and, you know, Martha is a good person, but she had mental and emotional problems that no one knew about. So if it hadn't been for Martha, there would be no Watergate, unquote. The whole. Jesus. Yeah, it is bad. It, he continues. Oh. He continues. I want to get your thoughts on this. And we continue this last oh, bit. OK. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. The whole mess of Watergate would have never have happened if his crazy co-conspirator's wife hadn't spoken up. And he goes on to say, quote, if John had been watching that store, as in John Mitchell, Watergate would have never happened. I don't really have words, uh, to be honest. It's just disgusting. (laughs) After she's dead. Oh, horrible. Yeah. Even if she wasn't dead, that's still, it's so fucked. It's so fucked. Yeah, in so many ways. And it's not even like, okay, it's not even the political aspect. It's the nature of a person that's capable of, it's the the concept of like lack of accountability, right? But on this level, it's so severe. And I, and I I get it like I get it this there's there's so much power at play here but I'm like it's it's just so gross yeah. um it yeah and like it the added factor that she's already passed away and that still feels needed by this person to be like it's it's essentially being like I could have gotten away with this if it weren't for you you kids you know you you meddling kids or whatever or if if, if John didn't do his job or whatever and the concept that saying oh if these things didn't happen, I could have gotten away with this and that would have been okay. Exactly. You know, it's that added level of like Watergate would have been fine if they just didn't talk about it. Like it's so, that's so right. Fucking horrible yep. and weird. Yep. And that's, ugh. it's like one. Of okay. Those- I said I had no words. Clearly, <laughs> I had words. No, that's yeah. uh, no, it's totally fine. But it's one of those, it's one of those things that you usually say in your head, like in your worst moments, in your worst moments, mm. it's something that you usually say in your head, never out loud, let alone to a reporter in an interview. Right. I, right. I'm just, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre that he's almost, is like admitting to it in many ways. Like it's one of the, right. it's like clearly Cass already in the bag. He's resigned, like damage has done on, on his end and whatever. So now he's just going to blame it on a dead woman who had everything in her and the courage to call him out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a full admission and it's 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 a full admission to what he did yeah. and total openness to being like I'm never ever going to hold myself accountable to that. It, it just is that is so weird to me. It's not unbelievable because there are people in the world who are capable of doing that and uh, I I know that you and I we're just not it's hard for us to comprehend cuz our standards we're just we would not never be able to do that. Uh. So it's, yeah, it's I think it's, it's that. an added layer of shittiness because he was the president of our country at some point. So right. Right. It fucking sucks. OK, mm. so that's basically the story part. So what does this have to do with science or medicine or whatever? Mm-hmm. Martha Mitchell today is not very well known as a person anymore, sadly, but her name is very much still used in psychology. Hmm. The Martha Mitchell effect is a psychological phenomenon when a person gets diagnosed as delusional or paranoid because they're speaking about things that seem totally crazy, but it turns out that they are actually right and what they're saying is true. Mm. In modern terminology, this is referred to as gaslighting. Mm -hmm. 
Harvard psychologist Brendan Mayer named the phenomenon after Martha, which is based on, as I said, a misdiagnosis of delusion, when in fact the person is not deluded at all. Right. Delusion, per the DSM-5, are profound and intensely held beliefs that are not swayed by evidence to the contrary, even to the point of believing in the bizarre, except Mm. the government is stealing my thoughts or the FBI is following me, etc. Right, right. However, there is a clear distinction. Simply believing in something outlandish like mermaids Mm. is not considered a problem, but having, quote-unquote, stuck beliefs that are impervious to facts backed by ample amount of evidence to the contrary suggests that something is mentally off. Hmm. Here's the thing. That is very hard to diagnose as a psychiatrist, which is why there is a new DSM-5 definition on delusion. Psychiatrists are no longer asked to decide whether the patient has, quote, and this is what I'm going to read is the old definition of the DSM-5 of delusion, quote, a false belief based on incorrect inference about external reality that is firmly sustained despite what almost everyone else believes and despite what constitutes incontrovertible and obvious proof or evidence to the contrary. Mm. A very wordy and complex definition that would make anybody's head spin. Mm. Instead, the new definition of delusion describes them as fixed beliefs that are unswayed by clear or reasonable contradictory evidence, which are held with great conviction and are likely to share the common themes of psychosis, which are Mm. paranoia, grandiosity, bodily changes, and so on. The belief being false is no longer central, and this step forward makes it less likely that uncomfortable claims can be dismissed as signs of madness. Very, very important. And this is key in the Martha Mitchell story because whistleblowers or anyone who would speak out against higher authorities are often dismissed by that authority by suggesting that person has mental health issues. Mm. There are two recent examples I can give you. In Germany, there was evidence of money laundering at a big bank, which became Mm -hmm. this huge scandal. But it was dismissed when the accuser was deemed delusional and diagnosed with mental illness. Hmm. Another instance, an NHS whistleblower, Kay Sheldon, reported failings of the Care Quality Commission. The first response to this, not to investigate the failings, the first response Hmm. was to suggest she had a mental health problem and to commission a psychiatric assessment. Right. Look, I have no idea whether or not any of these whistleblowers had actual mental health issues. They may have mm. or they may not have. But right. the bigger and more alarming point here is that reporting serious concerns and having a mental health issue are two entirely separate situations that right. should have no bearing on the other. This right. only perpetuates the stigma around mental health. Right. I was just going to say... um, well, one, this makes me think of uh, certain things in my personal life uh, where I've witnessed that with family and friends. Um, mm-hmm. I think an example I think of is, you know, I had a friend who was bullied at school and the situation became, okay, it's one kid versus a certain population of students. Mm-hmm. The one kid is the one who is actually being bullied yeah but it's easier to handle one versus the many yes and so it the school i'm trying to be very vague because i want to be respectful but ultimately the school chose to remove my friend from the the you know from the environment because that was the easier option wow but that is totally not fair at all and i know not fair is seems like such a basic terminology but like it it just makes me think of it, it always seems like with these sort of systems it's easier to handle the one person's versus doing the bigger work of actually mm-hmm. looking into the larger problem that yep. they might be claiming about yep. i do agree with what you said of this concept of well at the end of the day we actually don't know if these people are making delusional claims I agree with the notion of, but they're two separate things. Like, why can't we do both? You know, mm-hmm. why can't we, if, if we're feeling very doubtful about everything, the person making the claim yeah. and, you know, um, the the person, the, the organization that's being accused, why can't we do both? Mm-hmm. You know, let's do the psychiatric evaluation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because we have the resources for that. Mm-hmm. And let's look into what's being accused, you know? Yeah. 
and I feel like that would be the most balanced way to do it. It still sucks for the person who has to go to the psychiatric evaluation because if they are, you know, genuine and honest or whatever, that's going to cause some sort of trauma. Yes. But it is so hard. Like with the definitions that you gave, it is such a fine, fine line. And I understand why the DSM-5 updated their definition to tie it into more of it's a belief, a fixed belief that's become so severe to a point where it is causing what would be considered negative aspects in their life, as opposed to the old definition, which was actually quite loose. It was, you know, these are beliefs that are to the contrary of what, you know, the, the population believes, essentially. Correct. That's to summarize it. Correct. So I, I, I agree with the change in the language to be like, it's almost almost kind of like how addiction is defined. It's like, it, it does it, one one aspect of addiction is like, does it, occupy you in such a way that it is detrimental to your social life you cannot continue on as a typically developing person without thinking about this thing you know without having it in your life yes so I feel like it's almost like the same thing yeah but those are my thoughts I'm just like it's always easier for a larger system to essentially bully or just you know let's take care of the one person who's a problem rather than look at the bigger picture. So no, yeah, completely. And, yeah. and to go back to the definitions for the DSM five of delusion, I would say in a nutshell, the older definition is a little more subjective and based mm. and kind of relies on the clinician's opinion to right. base off of that and diagnose that, which is not ever great. And then mm-hmm. the updated version is a little more clinical because when you think of delusion, it is one of the sums that make up the whole when a person has or experiencing psychosis, right? Right. So it is just one of the aspects that can lead to that or what you look for in a person who is experiencing that, which is why they add that into the updated version. Here are the actual signs you should be looking for in addition to delusion to determine if this person is actually experiencing a mental uh, issue. Right. Which is how it should be because otherwise it is it is so subjective. Yeah. The other thing I think, though, is, you know, the concept of gaslighting alone. Gaslighting can be so severe to where people do question themselves and their their reality and their Mm -hmm. sanity. Mm -hmm. So it's like, would that then cause psychosis? I mean, okay, actually, I want to be mindful about my language because I know psychosis has a very strict definition Mm -hmm. but that said what i'm trying to say is it's i still feel like it's so tricky because the martha mitchell effect aka being gaslit Mm -hmm. they're saying that it's it's the concept of somebody being called delusional essentially even though what they're saying is a fact you know everyone else is right but when you're going through the martha martha mitchell effect i think you can become kind of mentally unhealthy you know, so it's mm-hmm. I feels like it's cyclical. Anyway. It is cyclical. And I actually want to, I guess, sort of backtrack on my words a little bit, because mm-hmm. even when I was doing this research and let me just like get to the point of <laughs> to mm-hmm. all of this that I <laughs> sure, wanted sure. to say at the end, which mm-hmm. is the story of Martha Mitchell is finally coming to light in an eight part TV drama on stars called Gaslit, mm-hmm. which is starring mm-hmm. Julie Roberts as Martha Mitchell, Sean mm-hmm. Penn as John Mitchell and Dan Stevens, who I love as mm-hmm. the White House mm-hmm. counsel, John Dean, as part of the 50th anniversary of the Watergate burglary slash break in. Mm-hmm. Martha Mitchell's story is tragic in so many ways because she she wasn't crazy. She was brave. She -hmm. called it like she saw it and she paid the price for it, unfortunately. And to go back, as I said, backtracking a little bit on my words, when I was doing this research and knowing that the, the TV series is called Gaslit, I don't believe that gaslighting really matches up to the actual Martha Mitchell phenomenon. 100% because the Martha Mitchell phenomenon, as we talked about, is someone who other people believe is deluded and talking like nonsense, right? But that person is actually stating truth. And it is not in that definition that that person who is speaking starts to believe everyone else. Right. You know, Martha never once for a second believed that she was crazy. She never once believed. She was like, you guys. This is real. This is happening. Like, I right. know. And you guys, no one's believing right. me. She never right. once succumbed to the idea of like, oh, my God, am I am I delusional? Mm. No, it was right, never right. like that. Whereas with gaslighting, 
that is in the realm of possibility where that can happen, where a person can start to believe the lies. The self-doubt starts happening. Right. Right. They believe the lies despite knowing the truth anyways. Right. She recognized when she was being gaslit. She's like, I ain't going to fall for that nonsense. She was Uh, above uh, the gaslit. Can't get me with that Mm -mm. shit. Mm -mm -mm. So (laughs) I I think I wanted to just sort of make that own distinction for everybody. That was helpful. Yes. Yes. (sighs) So that's it. Damn. Oh, Martha. Like, I just want to know all about her now. Right. I mean, here's a wild <laughs> I mean, obviously, part. you gave me a lot, but I, I no, just no. want to know her whole story. No, same. And that's why I want to, well, Poison Pals, you can go on this journey with us. I think Maggie and I are going to watch this series live together. I, th- I mm-hmm. believe it comes out next week. We're recording this on oh, April shit. 21st. So I think it comes out April 25th or 28th. So mm-hmm. I think that'd be fun for us to watch it live together and see how they yeah. portray the series of events. Because so many times, like if you watch All the President's Men or any other documentary or movie around the Watergate scandal, it is devoid of any information on Martha Mitchell. She's right. not, she does right. not partake in these events that happened, even though she was such an integral part to what has happened. And in many right. ways, Nixon is right. If it hadn't been for Martha we wouldn't have Watergate, you know? Right. And obviously those men were arrested, but we that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is Martha was the one that made the connection between Nixon and Watergate, right. which was the right. biggest or bigger scandal amongst everyone. Right. right? Yeah. So how <laughs> I'm chuckling. How dare Forrest Gump be the one to, to oust the Watergate or, or to do you know what I'm talking about? No. You know what Forrest Gump, how there's a scene, you know how the whole theme of Forrest Gump is he's had these amazing life experiences that he has no idea actually has a huge social impact mm. on the nation and all that. Mm-hmm. And that happens throughout the movie. Okay. And one of them is him witnessing the break-in at Watergate. Oh, and it's shit. a scene where that he sees like the the lights in across the the way yeah. like, he's in his own hotel and he sees the lights on at the building across and he calls what? the front desk or whatever and he's like hey i think there's something happening over on the other side and it's it's the watergate scandal oh going my down God. and i'm like how dare they say it was forrest gump <laughs> it was martha mitchell <laughs> wait i've never even i haven't seen forrest gump i hate to admit but oh it's fine that's uh i, I didn't know yeah. that yes that's martha yeah. mitchell's factually <laughs> inaccurate it's such a small scene. It's just so small. But right when you mentioned Watergate, that's what I thought of. There's that image of him like being like, hey, I, I think there's something going on over there. Oh, my gosh. That's so, I have to watch that just for that. But I think I think the biggest takeaway I had from from reading about this is I can't believe we don't know about her. Like not even yeah. a little bit like this is an I hate to be like the clickbait kind of person, but mm-hmm. this has so many elements that is very intriguing in terms of a storyline, mm-hmm. but right. we just don't know about her at all. Uh, and b- besides like the actual facts of what happened, her as a person, as a personality, I'm sure is so interesting. And for her to be such a huge face at White House right. at, in that time period where you totally said correctly, a lot mm-hmm. of the White House women were just not like they just were not right. seen. And she right. was she was defying that every step of the way. So it's it's right. honestly a loss for everyone that we don't know more about her. But I'm very, very excited. I actually had Gaslit like tagged for a long time because Jan Stevens <laughs> yeah. posted about it like months ago when they were starting okay. to do press tours. I'm like, I cannot wait to watch yeah. this because I know Julia Roberts is going to kill it. And she hasn't yeah. been acting in a while. So I'm really excited to see her. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, Harini, thanks for bringing this forward. Thanks for bringing this to the, the cast. Yeah. I am excited to watch it with you. And maybe we can make that like a uh, little fun live stream yes. thing every other week. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Poison <laughs> Pals, join us. Follow our IG and maybe we'll pop yeah. up. We'll just be watching and talking over Gaslit. <laughs> yeah. We can do it on Twitch, like how the kiddos do these days. I, I think it'll Hell be fun. Yeah. We young. We, we young, young. You know, like Discord or something. <laughs> we'll figure it out. But anyways. So, all right. That's all right. It. Okay, cool. Thank you, Harini. I guess we'll enter our antidotes. Yeah. My antidote for today. My antidote is that it is officially, I'm officially entering the last 10 days of Ramadan. You know, it, 
this month felt like it was going slow and then suddenly my sister messaged that it was the last 10 days and I was like whoa never mind this month went by fast yeah and um I was talking to our good buddy Drew earlier and I straight up texted him I was like Drew what do I eat for dinner tonight (laughs) I have my my fridge is getting scarce and I have no inspiration to cook yeah and I I kind of want to do this thing where in the last 10 days I ask a different friend each Mm. night what am I having for dinner? That's and then so they decide cool. for me. So we'll see if I do that. But that just sounds expensive because that's eating out 10 days in a row. <laughs> so we'll see. But it sounds kind of fun. Um, but he said Thai for tonight. Yeah. And uh, sorry to disappoint you, Drew. I did have Thai, <laughs> but I didn't buy out. I cooked mm. my own Thai food. Um, yeah, it's pretty better. It's pretty better. Bomb. Yeah, yeah. I saved some money yeah. and got a suggestion. But that's pretty much it. It's just the last Sundays of Ramadan. We are in the home stretch. I've had one of my most mindful ramadans mm, i think yes uh i think this has been the most mindful ramadan i've mm-hmm. ever ex- experienced um and i'm so really good. grateful for that so so good yeah megan mm-hmm. i'm happy for you about all of thank that. you and also you need to trademark that idea now what what you having for dinner that could be a whole cooking <laughs> show that could be yeah that's sh- true you text your friends what am i having for dinner and then you do a video where you can get inside yeah. Love it. I was laughing earlier when I texted Drew that in my head. I went through this whole dialogue of like, Drew, what am I having for dinner? Like, you know, the yeah. concept. Okay, you right. decide. I can't say no, no matter right. what they say. I got to eat it. And in my head, I was like, gosh, what if he puts a suggestion out there? And I just reply, no, I don't want that. <laughs> I thought you were going to go the other way. I thought he was no. going to be like, well, Drew, what, what am I having for dinner? And he was going to be like, uh, you know, it's <laughs> just. <laughs> I was like, should I, can I even say this on the pod? I was just going to say, I'm sure. I was just gonna be like, uh, toenail clippings or something like that. And he'd be like, oh, fuck, this is turned to fear uh, factor. I know. I know. I know. There was, there was that route too, definitely, of like, what, yeah, they could, they could tell me anything, like just mustard sauce for the night. I'm like, Mm-mm. all right, I'm going to eat it. Just eat a whole um, thing but, of cinnamon like those kids were doing back in the day, the cinnamon oh, challenge. God. I was one of those kids. Did I did you that do challenge. it? You're kidding yeah. me. You're kidding me. <laughs> I did it with Manira and Drew. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I am learning so much. And Ben, I think, too. Wait, yeah. Was it successful? <laughs> I'm fucking not doing that. Was it no, successful? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it, it's like too much. It's too powdery. Too powdery too, for, too, it, for okay. it to go down in one lump. Good Lord. Good Lord. Okay. Um, good to know. But yeah, yeah. That's that's my antidote. All right. Very good. Okay. My antidote is I was actually already talking about it with Megan, but I had a work trip after a long time and it was in person, in person, meaning like I had an in-person meeting before, but this was without Mm -hmm. masks. And Mm -hmm. it was like the first time where it's kind of like, quote unquote, post COVID. I know we're not really out of it, but it felt as normal as it could get. Mm -hmm. And it was so nice to just see my coworkers, see their faces often for the first time. A lot of people didn't know who I was. Like they knew who I was, but they're (laughs) like, who's that? And they're like, oh my God, Harini, you know? So it was like really great to just sit and chat in a setting that was outside of work where you could actually really connect and get to know everybody. And Hmm. it was very, very good. Like I brought like a new invigoration to, you know, the company and the work and what I do. So, which I think I really needed because I was feeling really burnt out. So I'm um, right. really happy to do that and hang out with my co-fellas a little bit more. So, and I got to explore uh, a new city. I've never been to Texas. It was in Dallas. So that was really exciting. And nice. I had grits for the first time, which I enjoyed. Yes, it, was, yes. it was a good time. It was a good time. So oh, I'm so happy yeah. for you. Yeah. I, I think it's something that, okay, I might be on a different wavelength because essentially my, you know, my company, mm-hmm. we've gone maskless for a while now. Okay. Okay. But yeah, but that said, it is a very special moment. I think maybe we take it for granted because yeah. at the end of the day, a lot of mask mandates are gone, done yeah. anyway. But, you know, certain companies still keep them. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. But it is a special moment to kind of recognize and look around you like, oh, none of us are wearing masks. Right. And yeah, like that. that is something that we need to appreciate a little bit, I think. And mm-hmm. so... And everyone got to see her beautiful face. <laughs> I'm sure they were like, oh, like, who is this yeah. hot mama? <laughs> that mask would hide in that face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, it was good. And I was, gonna so say, I was going to say it was really bizarre, too, for me, because mm-hmm. literally while I was in the flight, I was mm-hmm. airborne. That was right. when the mask mandates officially were dropped for 
flights. Yes, yes. I heard like a recording on NPR this morning. Mm-hmm. I forget what airline, but the person over the thing was like, we are excited to announce we are officially no longer mandating Max. Right. And like you could hear like the uh, the you, flight what? people like cheering or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's so crazy. That's I feel it's like crazy. that's even more special. That was wow. Wild. You got to experience that. That was oh. wild. So on my flight back, pretty much, except for like a handful, I did wear a mask just in case because mm-hmm. maybe I'll see eye issue. I don't know. So I was just right, keeping right, the back right. of my mind. So I was wearing it, and I was like, wow. Like pretty much no one was wearing. It. I was like, this is wild. This is wild. Like it's officially yeah. happening, and right. uh, you know it's exciting, but we're still cautious at the same time. But I, yeah. I'm, I'm just excited yeah. to to know that things are finally literally like you physically see the change back to normal yeah yeah Yeah. once it's tangible it feels so surreal but also like it just feels different feels different feels different so yeah exciting shit all right all right take us home Mm. yeah honestly (laughs) don't risk it for that gaslit biscuit like yeah. be like Martha Mitchell don't let people talk you out of your own beliefs yeah that's that, it. Ba- that biscuit be lying to you that biscuit is li- make you a fool it's made out of lying bread <laughs> lying flour all of the above <laughs> lying sugar <laughs> don't yes alright all right. <laughs> thanks poison pals <laughs> bye Peace.